Hi, everyone. It's time for the With a Bullet podcast. My name is Todd Golden. His name is Matt Golden. What's up, Matt Golden? Uh, Not a whole lot. I was looking at vaccine appointments earlier. Um, I'm eligible, I guess. So, and why is that? Um, because I work in a company that is part of the food supply chain. So, aha. So you grow meat. Mm, no, no, I don't. Oh, I thought that's how that worked. So, never mind. No, no, no. That no. came out of the ground. But um, anyway, I've been busy, but I don't want to get into it. So, um, mm-hmm. this week is my pick. And at the last minute, I decided to pick the UK chart from March 11th, 1973. And uh, it was kind of fun. What did you think? Yeah, yeah, I thought it was pretty fun too. Um, it's there's definitely a lot of glam on it. You ended up with more of it than I did, but I mean, pretty good collection of songs. I thought <clears throat> that's so. because I strive to screw you over at every turn. <laughs> okay, yeah, yep, that's right. I probably <laughs> I probably did get the better songs on this one. That was not a plan, um, but it's the way it turned out. So um, deal with it. All right. Just deal with it. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Why don't we get started with number 40, Big Seven by Judge Dredd? Yeah, it's fitting that we have a right, have a white reggae artist on a chart from 311. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But it's... Um, me a little bit to process yeah. that one. Yeah. Well, actually, it would, it would be 11-3 in the UK. But anyway. Yeah. Um, Judge Dredd's real name was Alex Hughes. Um, He was a club bouncer and occasional professional wrestler. Um, He wrestled under the name the Masked Executioner. And he fell in love with Jamaican music while he was living in Brixton in London when he was a teenager. Um, The neighborhood is and was pretty heavily populated with um, people from Jamaica and the West Indies. So he kind of grew up with that sound, and he sounds pretty authentic, but when you look at a picture of him, it kind of ruins it. Um, he kind of looks like David Crosby or Gallagher. Um, just imagine either of them doing reggae. Um, but this song is a sequel to his previous hit, Big Six. Um, and with Big Six, he was trying to outdo a single by Prince Buster called Big Five. And Big Five was done to the tune of rainy night at georgia but it was super raunchy um just like the nastiest stuff you can think of but it was kind of an underground hit of the uk in the late 60s and dread um set out to outdo that and basically what he did was um more or less do an island flavored version of andrew dice clay's um dirty nursery rhymes bit um which is kind of what he's also doing for this one. And both of the, both this and Big Six were banned by the BBC. Uh, Dread actually holds the record for the most songs banned by the BBC. Uh, but it was still a big hit. Um, this one kind of leaves, or this one starts where that one leaves off. So um, you get to hear about all the nasty stuff that Jack and Jill, old Mother Hubbard, and um, little Jack Horner are getting into. It's, 
better than Big Six, but it's still really, really dumb. And as a side note, he had more hits on the British charts than Bob Marley. So, um, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, A, did he inspire the movie of the same name? And B, looking at the picture here of him, which is just a little baby snapshot photo, he looks like a happy version of uh, Big John Stud. Yeah, I mean, I'm assuming you're going off of like like whatever's on the chart or like Spotify or whatever. I'm literally looking at the UK chart and the little snapshot they have of him. Okay, okay. Um, Yeah, because I mean, I looked at videos and he does look very much like, or he did look very much like David Crosby and Gallagher in those. Did he smash a watermelon? uh, um, as far as I know, he didn't. He should have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, number 39 for you is Mud with Crazy. This is kind of cool. It's also a little bit of an anachronism uh, for 1973. Because although it's glammy, um, it also sounds like Paul Revere and the Raiders. Like if you slapped a glam filter on him. Um Mutter from the same wing of British, of the same British Chapman Chin factory of British pop that uh, bands like Sweet came out of. So uh, very much sort of bubblegummy, but also trendy at the time with the glam leanings. Mud was uh, pretty big in the UK. They had three number one songs there, but they never even hit the top 100 uh, in the US. So very much a, um, a British Isle sensation and only that. And uh, like I said, it's it's all right, but you know, it's not like you don't need to go download it um, off of uh, your favorite downloadable machine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have a machine that downloads all my songs. I built it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, next up for you, number thirty-eight is "Why" by Donny Osmond. This is my first skip. I have another song by Donnie coming up later on that I can't skip, so I'm just going to pass by this well, lucky one. lucky you. Yes. <laughs> but uh, 37 for you is Val Dunican with Heaven Is My Woman's Love. Val Dunican sounds like a 1970s Quinn Martin Productions guest star from one of their TV shows. Um, so it could be like... Uh, uh, streets of San Francisco this week, Joe Campanella, Jacqueline Scott, Val Dunican. It sounds like that. And in actual yeah. fact, he was on TV in the UK. He was, he hosted his own variety show, uh, for a long time for 21 years from 1965 to 1986. Um, and he was also an Irish born easy listening guy. So think of, he's like the Andy Williams of the British Isles in a sense. <laughs> Um, which okay. is which is neato, but this song is really terrible. So, as Andy Williams' songs mostly were, so so it's in that it's in that uh, in that wing of seventies uh, uh, sound. It's uh, it's not good. It might actually be just oh, okay. as close to uh, Lawrence Welk as well. It's not quite that, huh. but it's it's easy listening in not the good way. So, okay, Val Dunican, he'll be next on Canon, yeah, or Barnaby <laughs> Jones. So, next up for you, number 36 is Hocus Pocus by Focus. 
I, I was going to start off with an imitation of the yodeling from this song, but um, I couldn't really pull it off, so I'm not going to bother. Um, Focus were a Dutch prog rock group, and it's safe to say that this song is really the only thing that most people know about them. Um, it kind of alternates between very driving hard rock, um, proto-metal riff, and lead singer Tease Van Leer either yodeling, scatting, whistling, or um, playing flute between the riffs. It goes back and forth seven times in like the full-length version, which is um, like a little bit under seven minutes long. And I'm not sure if they actually did this or I'm just imagining, but it seems like every time they go back to the riff, um, the band plays at a slightly faster tempo each time. Um, I'm not sure if they actually did it, but um, it seems cool anyway, or it seems like it. Um, but the version that's turning here was a re-recording it, of it. Um, they shortened it by about three minutes, played a little faster, and guitarist Jan Ackerman um, overdubbed some solos over the riffing, but it still retains the feel of the original. And based on the clips that I could find of this, um, Focus did kind of switch up the way that they perform this live from time to time. Um, a couple versions start out with a lengthy, um, flute-heavy jazz fusion jam before they um, plunge right in. And um, in the version from the Midnight Special, they almost play it at, like, um, speed metal or thrash tempo. And that version's also kind of internet famous due to um, some of the goofy faces that Van Leer makes during the yodeling segments. And it's been used in a lot of ads and movies, um, used in a chase sequence in Baby Driver, and supposedly the Cincinnati Reds used it as their uh, TV theme during the big Red Machine years. But I, I couldn't find any evidence of that, but supposedly it did. But um, pretty good song. I like this one. Hocus Pocus by Focus, more like Nocus. Oh, okay. I, I, I don't know. It's all right. I mean, the, the cool parts are cool. The other parts are dopey, I think. But but I get Focus again later, so I'll, I'll delve into that then. Focus is on the start twice. Uh, okay, yeah. So... Yeah. yeah, and this one was on the U.S. charts this week, but it was at number ninety-three. Hocus so. pocus by focus, more like bogus, as in bogus. Uh, okay, yeah, I could do this all <laughs> night. Okay, uh, but number thirty-five for you is ELL with rollover Beethoven. Hey, Matt, what yeah. if they incorporated actual Beethoven? into a cover song that name checks Beethoven. What do you think about that? Whoa, my, my mind is no blown. shit. Um, that was <laughs> a probably inaccurate representation of the brainstorm that ELO had when they decided to do this. It, I don't know. I, this song is popular. It's one of their more popular songs by, by their fans. But to me, it comes off like a bad set piece from like an eighties or a nineties movie. It's like, It'd be like if in um, Back to the Future, um, like Michael J. Fox's character when he did uh, Johnny Be Good, instead maybe he did Roll Over Beethoven, and they uh -huh. would be like, the writers of the movie would be like, all 
just to make the 50s audience understand it, let's actually make him play Beethoven on an electric guitar. That would be amazing. So it seems just like a, I don't know, it seems like a good idea on paper that isn't so hot in uh, practice. Um, but like I said, ELO is, their fans love this song. ELO enjoys this song. They close all their concerts with this song because, of course, they do. Um, because they're yeah. derivative of so many artists with their music. So so why not, you know, stay, stay on right. brand. But I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't really care for this song. So even though it does have a few parts that kind of rock, but not my cup of tea, as the British say. Yeah, I, I, I'm not really a fan of this. This one. isn't my. This isn't um, my field of cricket. They don't say that at all. I just made that up. <laughs> anyway, yeah. next up for you, number thirty-four is "Take My Girl, I'm Ready" by Junior Walker and the All Stars. This one wasn't really what I was expecting from Junior Walker. This has a lot more of a Philly soul feel to it. Doesn't sound like Motown. Um, the first thing I did was check to see if he switched labels at some point in the early 70s. Uh, but no, this was on Motown. Um, actually, Tamla Motown in the UK. And it was produced by Motown mainstay Johnny Bristol. Um, the song was actually a couple years old. Um, it was first released here in the States in 71 and didn't quite make it to the top 40 for whatever reason. And um, Tamla Motown held on to it for a couple of years before putting it out in the UK. Um, it's very sax heavy. Um, Junior Walker was a sax player, so um, that makes sense. But um, pretty de decent soul song. I like this one. And it's also... Um, pretty popular in both the Northern Soul and um, Carolina Beach music scenes. Um, so um, people go out and dance to this one. I actually found a video of like a um, bunch of guys who are like our dad's age dancing to this. So, yeah. All I can think of is that Tamla Motown sounds like a really dumb handle for somebody to play like Call of Duty with. I'm Tamla Motown. Oh, Oh, okay. I, I've never played. Neither Call have I, but I know what it is. I mean, you go on there, you're a first-person shooter. Yeah, I know. And yeah. it's like, I'm going to be cool and call myself Tamla Motown. Okay. <laughs> did I just blow yeah. your mind? I think I did. I, I, I Yeah, oh, cool. you did. Good. You did. <laughs> but 33 for you is Blue Mink with By the By Devil. The Devil, I Was Tempted. And in parentheses, it doesn't show that on this chart, but that's what it is. This sounds right. a little yeah. bit like Bob Dylan's La 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 Lying from the Be Be Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid soundtrack. If you've ever seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. He just, like half the songs on that, just yeah. going, La 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 La. You know, it's both kind of cool because it's Bob Dylan doing it. It's also kind of annoying because it's somebody going La 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 over and over again. But only this was done by blue minks um uh black female singer that's it that's the whole tweet i don't know why i wrote that that's silly um actually oh, okay. this starts it does sound like that at the beginning and then it starts to sound like ocean about midway through it because they actually have another lead singer and believe me that yeah it does it does kind of sound like ocean it, this is yeah. a whole hell of a lot closer to ocean than it is to bob dylan so um, and that's all I got on Blue Mink. That's it. That's the whole tweet. 
Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't know why that's a thing on Twitter. It's weird. Anyway, a next right. for you, a large one. Number 32 is Tie Yellow Ribbon Round the Old Oak Tree by Dawn featuring Tony Orlando. I'm skipping this one. I've actually had this one before. What? So, What are the hostages in <laughs> Iran going to do with you skipping this song? That is cruel. I I don't know. I, I have no I idea. Like... <laughs> right. But 31 for you is Roxy Music with Pajama Rant. Roxy Music is one of those bands you kind of wish was bigger in the United States. I mean, they did have a hit or two here. I mean, Love is the Drug is by far the biggest one they ever had a few years after this. Um, but they weren't as influential nor as uh, nor as popular as they were in England. I mean, I guess they were too weird for American ears. I mean, Brian Ferry, especially in this period, was really playing games with his voice, um, taking it to uh, octave levels that were, I, I wouldn't say they were avant-garde, but they were definitely not radio-friendly by American standards, thinking what was on American radio. And this period of 1973, a lot of country pop and soft rock and or R&B, I mean, it, it, Roxy Music didn't really fit into any of those categories, at least not at this stage. He had some pretty avant-garde saxophone to go along with hard rock guitar, and that was not something that was in the American wheelhouse at this stage. That Roxy Music are an acquired taste, but one worth acquiring. I mean, this was their second single after uh, Virginia Plain, which is a really good song. Um, and it has uh, Brian Eno's, uh, or Eno's sharp white cheddar synth accents on it, which was also a thing for Roxy Music when he was in the band. So... Um, one of those things that, like, if you listen to it now, like, people our age would listen to this and, you know, it, it does sound like it's of a scene, but it doesn't sound foreign necessarily to us. Whereas I would imagine uh -huh. for somebody who is, you know, in their 20s in 1973, Americans would have thought that that sounded really weird. So, but things have developed since then to make it sound not weird. Would you right. agree? See... Yeah, this is yeah, this is actually one of my favorite Roxy music songs, actually. Oh yeah? What's your favorite one? Um, probably Virginia Plain. You know what my favorite one is? What? Um The Morning After. Uh they didn't do oh. that. It, it it would be funny if Brian Fury did. <laughs> that would that be cool. Though. My other favorite Roxy music <laughs> song is Torn Between Two Lovers, which we had we had <laughs> yeah, yeah. on that uh, on our podcast recently, but actually Roxy Music did the original, and that's uh, it's lying. <laughs> that 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 is true. No, that it is isn't. True. March tenth yeah. and March tenth annually is Tell a Lie Day, which itself uh, oh, is a lie okay. because I just made that shit up. So exactly. I, both. Yep. I am. Uh, it's very Zen and Meta at the same time. Right. which are two words neither one of them i probably just use properly anyway probably next not. up for you <laughs> number 30 is get down by gilbert o'sullivan this isn't what i was really expecting from gilbert o'sullivan it's definitely not alone again naturally it doesn't make you want to kill yourself it's pretty happy it's pretty upbeat it sounds like paul mccartney but it's a lot funkier than paul ever got 
Um, there's clavinet in there, a lot of electric piano. Um, in the lyrics, he's kind of comparing a girlfriend who's maybe a little bit horny to an unruly dog um, that keeps jumping on his lap. Um, kind of weird that he's comparing his girlfriend to a dog. But anyway, um, it originally started out as a piece that he um, used to like warm up on the piano before shows. And um, supposedly it inspired Casey and the Sunshine Band to write Get Down Tonight. Um, even though it doesn't really sound at all like um, Get Down Tonight. But pretty good. And I actually found a clip of him playing this with um, Elton John. And it also, I mean, I compared it to Paul McCartney, but it's also pretty similar to Elton John, I guess, too. So, um, but pretty decent song. You know, you know what one of my so. favorite movies is? Gilbert O'Sullivan and the Little People. Mm, okay. It's actually Darby O'Gill and the Little People. Oh, okay, yeah, I haven't seen that I, one either. I've barely <laughs> seen it, so I just was working off okay. the O'Sullivan. Try to keep up <clears throat> as I get okay. a frog in my throat. Anyway, I believe we're up to your long-distance dedication. Right, and I'm going back across the Atlantic for my long-distance dedication. You left the chart? Yes, right. I did. I wasn't expecting that, but go on. Okay, at number eight on the Hot 100, we have Dr. Hook and the Medicine Show with um, the cover of Rolling oh Stone. Oh my god, I'm leaving right now. <laughs> okay. that song. Um, uh, okay, okay. Um, but like most of Dr. Hook's songs, this one was written by humorist Shel Silverstein. Um, Silverstein had previously made it onto the charts with um, the Irish Rover's Unicorn and um, Johnny Cash is a boy named Sue. So this wasn't exactly new territory for him. Uh, this one deals with a band, not necessarily Dr. Hook themselves, but a band who has a lot of blue-eyed teenage groupies, a genuine Indian guru, all kinds of pills, a freaky lady named Cocaine Katie who embroiders all their jeans, and they get paid $10,000 a show. But none of that matters because Jan Wenner doesn't like them. Not only that, but Lester Banks probably called them bankrupt before r rambling about Lou Reed and cough syrup for 20 pages. Uh, Dave Marsh probably called them fascist. And Grill Marcus probably said that they betrayed their talent completely. I mean, these guys have probably been on the cover of Cream Circus and Hit Parader 10 times a piece, but none of that matters. Uh, they want to be like Trisha Nixon, Sally Struthers, and Captain Beefheart. Um, all those people appeared on the cover of Rolling Stone before this, by the way. And they want to go on a week-long acid binge with Hunter S. Thompson. They want to hang out with PJ O'Rourke. Um, I mean, that beats getting your jeans embroidered any day. Um, but the funny thing is that this song actually worked. Um, Dr. Hook did appear on the cover of Rolling Stone about two weeks after this chart came out. And they were referred to as What's Their Name? Um, who knows if they actually sent out 10 copies to each of their mothers, but um, they were on there. And um, apparently this issue also featured articles about Evil Knievel, um, Downers, and a Paul Butterfield blues band reunion. So classic Rolling Stone stuff. But um, I, I, I like the, 
just dedicate this to um, Jan Wenner um, for putting them on the rolling cover of the Rolling Stone. <laughs> and, and, and for also, um, uh, I don't know where I'm going with this. Hey, so. by the way, did I say that I hated this song enough? Yes, yes you did. Way, I hate yeah, this you song. Did. I hate it. I hate, 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 hate it. <laughs> it's it's a decent novelty no, song. I'll say shit. that. It's I just oh, it just makes my skin crawl when it comes on. Don't like it. <laughs> I don't give a fuck whether they're on the cover of Rolling Stone or not. And and the song itself is just dopey. It's just it's just like I don't know. Well, it's intentionally. I know, but even by novelty song, song like novelty songs don't get a free pass just because they're novelty songs. They can still suck. And, you know, the problem with a novelty song is, is that if your gimmick doesn't, some gimmicks work like uh troglodyte by the Jimmy Castor bunch works because it's funny, but, but this isn't funny. It sounds dopey and I don't give a damn about their problems. Oh, yeah, okay. I just shot okay. your ass down. Anyway. Well, aside from not being on the cover of the Rolling Stone, they didn't really have many problems, though. Yeah. They later on became yacht rock specialists in the late 70s. I swear to God. That, that I, is true. With, yeah. with mainly, I think a lot of the people in the band in that period were not in the band when they recorded this. But um, I swear to God, I heard when you're in love with a beautiful woman, um a thousand times when I was like eight years old, whenever it was out. I mean, it was like, Oh, I believe God. That, yeah. And that song is at least, <laughs> you know, tolerable, but this is just this, uh, I, I prefer this one to that one. Actually. I dedicate your dedication to the seventh circle of hell. Oh, okay. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. But, but anyway, over the, top? the next one, we might be staying oh, there. We are, believe me. Go ahead. Uh, okay, at number 29, we have Little Jimmy Osmond with Long-Haired Lover from Yeah, Liverpool. this is a skip. Space X this shit into the heart of the sun. This brutal. <laughs> God. I mean, it, this also, this is worse than, you're right, this is worse than cover of a rolling stone because this is a totally different gimmick it's like let's put a little kid on there and see what he could do with the song it's so cute it's like get that shit out of my face brutal <laughs> anyway yeah. a song that's much better number 28 for you is love train by the ojs it's much better but believe it or not i'm actually skipping wow this one. hater you just want so, war. yeah I, I, i'm not hating on it you want just... war what did you talk about? War other and stuff? death is what you're all about. That's why you want, <laughs> you know, apocalyptic bloodshed is what you're in favor of by skipping the song. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Why don't you, why don't you just exactly. get, get, um, you know, get on board? I, okay, I will. Start a love train, love train. Jeez. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, 27 for you is Gladys Knight of the Pips with um, Look of Love. Well, this song has been covered so many times that when I looked it up to uh, on YouTube to uh, 
to, uh, you know, find a clip of it. It doesn't even show up as one of the like top 10 options. Like when you do a little pull down menu and it pulls it down, it had a bunch of other different versions, but not theirs. I did find it, of course. And I, I still think the original one, which was sung by Dusty Springfield, is for the Casino Royale movie. And it's actually a really memorable scene from that movie when it's in it. Um, is the best version of this song, but this is a good effort by Gladys Knight and the Pips. It's it's definitely in line with the original, more of a torch songish type uh, take on the song, and very dreamy and stringy. And even though it was recorded in 1972, it doesn't really sound like it. It's it does have a distinctly like um, you know swinging London uh, 1967ish type of feel to it. Um, for whatever reason, this was never released as a single in the United States, probably because it was one of the group's last Motown releases um, before they moved to Buddha Records, which is where they um, uh, had their peak where with Midnight, Midnight Train to Georgia was actually their single after this. But that was on a different label. So um, but decent by Gladys Knight and the Pips, but it doesn't sound like their 70s stuff. It sounds this sounds more like a 60s song, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought of it too. I, I actually thought this might have been an earlier recording too, but apparently not. Yeah. So, anyway, next up for you, number twenty-six is "Take Me Home, Country Roads" by Olivia Newton-John. Ah, uh, skip. Um, it's cover of the John Denver song, and it's not that great. Um, at number twenty-five for you, we have Stevie Wonder with "Superstition." Well, everybody knows this song, and almost everybody loves this song. Um, but there's a must-hear version uh, from uh, uh, from a German from the German TV show Music Laden, which we reference on here a lot. It was actually recorded in 1974, so a year after this, or a year or two after this. Um, but it's it's uh, if you like Superstition, it's kind of required viewing because it's the live version of Superstition is a lot different than the uh, studio version of it, although obviously has many of the same elements. So you have Wonder. Um, and he's got his clavinet uh, tuned up just right. Um, and his band is tight. Uh, drummer Ollie Brown turns Superstition, which is already a pretty driving song, into more of a martial, and when I say martial, military-type march. And But what the key is, is the background singers, Wonder Love, his, uh, his background singers, that's what they call themselves. Um, and they make the chor- choruses absolutely uh, kick ass beyond the beyond the way they do in the studio version because they don't have horns in this live version. Uh, so they essentially replace the horns and it's a lot more soulful that way uh, because they basically scream out the, uh, you know, the yeah, yeah, yeah. Only much better than I just did it. Um, uh-huh. I'm pretty sure Michael Sembello of Maniac fame is playing guitar on this and, uh, and really jams towards the end of it. It's a weird clip the way they have it sliced on YouTube because um the way i've always seen this on american tv when it's been shown as they show superstition actually it was this way probably on german tv as well they show it as the last clip um because the credits run over the top of it but Uh actually somebody found the raw footage of it and it was actually the first song they played so if you go to look for it you actually see the end of the song if you watch the entire clip first and then it cuts off kind of where the german tv version did right when the guitar is starting to go into a kind of a solo at the end of uh, superstition. So you can see the whole performance. Uh, you just have to do it in a weird way. Um, 
I mean, and the whole performance exists. It, it, it was done around the time, it was probably after Intervisions came out, um, because none of the songs from uh, Fooling This First Finale are on it. Although Contusion, which is on Songs in the Key of Life, is on it, but that song was created a few years before it appeared on Contusion, or on um, Songs from the Key of Life, but or In the Key of Life. Anyway, it's something that you ought to seek out, because it's one of the better uh TV live performances uh, I've seen in its entirety. I mean, every song on it is really good, um, especially the kind of extraordinary and completely different version of Signed, Sealed, Delivered, which um, which is just really, really soulful and cool. Um, if it was ever released mm-hmm. on, on, you know, like on record or whatever, I would, I'd probably purchase that in a heartbeat. It's just a really great performance by Stevie Wonder. So, and Superstition is... Uh, part of why it's so good so so go check it out right that's my video pick of the week okay i i think there's also a really good version of this from like sesame there Street is yes too. that's also a good version so yeah. i prefer the music laden version because of the because wonder love is uh awesome on it and the whole performance with it i mean if um you know the version of um like contusion is really good um Living for the City is very good on it, uh, among others. So it's about uh-huh. 30 minutes long. It's not that long. So, um, But recorded for German TV. Music Laden, and I'll reference them again later, um, was pretty choice in this period because the artist played live on it. So uh-huh. truly live, kind of like, um, you know... Was Midnight Special live or Don Kirshner's Rock Concert? It, it was live. Yeah, Midnight Special was live. Yeah, so those are always good to see, too, because you actually get to see the band, um, you know, live, obviously. Because a lot of, like, Top of the Pops and stuff like that usually had live vocals, but not live music. That was a British union rule um, that they had. You had to sing, but you could pipe in the music, which is weird, but... Uh, uh-huh. And a lot of American shows were the same way. So, um, but this is good shit. So go check it out. Way anyway, yep. next up for you, and I imagine the Music Laden live version of this is even better. Um, number twenty-four <laughs> is "That's When the Music Takes Me" by Neil Sedaka. This is a skiff. I, I'm not even sure if Neil ever went on Music Laden. <laughs> you never. I mean, they had some pretty eclectic artists, so it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, you're 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 probably right about Did that. Did Neil Sadaka go on like um like uh um like the jeans on guy did with naked women being superimposed over it while he did? <laughs> it would have been funny if he did. Should have. That would have been classic. Right. <laughs> but twenty three for you is Timmy Thomas with uh Why Can't We Live Together? I- I had this song. I've actually had this song in my possession for a long time, and I totally forgot about it. Um, it appeared on those um, those Rhino R and B uh, CDs from like the very early '90s that were really good. Um, hard to find these days on CD. I mean, I don't really buy CDs anymore, but that was a pretty great uh, set of uh, that was a pretty great compilation. And anyway, this was on it. That 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 compilation had like 15 parts to it, and it went in chronological order and this song was on it and I'd totally forgotten about it. And this song is really different for it kind of, you know, it's, it's early seventies and it's not at all at the same time. Um, because all this song really is, 
is a minimalist organ played over like a, a syncopated beat. And it is one of the very first songs that used uh, synth drums, like a very primitive version of, of a synth drum. So that's not real drums, um, which is pretty obvious when you listen to it. But, um, but because they huh. keep the beat so simple, it kind of works. It has this weird, it has the same atmospheric feel like that the Casey and the Sh- Sunshine Band songs do. It's very dense, very humid, so to speak. But but the vocals are just a straight up uh, soul belter by uh, Timmy Thomas. Um, this was a huge hit on both shores. Got It was actually bigger here. It got up to number three um, and it peaked at number 12 in the UK. But it was it's a pretty awesome song that I somehow had completely slipped out of my uh, memory. So... Hmm. Yeah, I, I've never heard this one before this week. So yeah, it, but it is pretty decent. It's decent, but it's different because it's so. It really is just. It almost sounds like something from the. Like it, it has a jazzy feel to it because it really is just basically a beat and an organ, but a very minimalist organ, like almost something you'd hear from the early '60s or something, like on a jazz or lounge record or something like that. So kind of cool though I, I i like it it's uh different um number yeah number 22 for you do you want to touch me oh yeah by gary glitter <laughs> well i'm gonna do my part to oh uh, wait a minute wait 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 wait, wait 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 no no var has come into play i forgot i need to do my wikipedia fun fact of the week uh, okay okay var has has jumped in and it's appropriate for a uk chart and stop the okay so let's pretend like i never introduced that and uh this why can't we live together by timmy thomas also gets us to our wikipedia fun fact of the week sponsored by hell is real uh, okay quote, this song has been covered by many artists including jamaican singer tinga stewart mike anthony Charday, joan osborne steve winwood and maria muldoor mc hammer reinterpreted this song on the his 1991 album too legit to quit unquote okay <laughs> i've listened to hammer i i when i saw that i was like i have to hear hammer's version of this and it's hilarious uh although i will admit it could have been a hundred times worse um but it does have him uh-huh. throwing in random social commentary at times it sounds like uh two live crew and diggable planets had a baby that's basically what it sounds like okay so VAR has ruled that my Wikipedia fun fact of the week got in the podcast this week. So we turn to oh. number 22 again. Do you want to touch me? Oh, yeah. By noted pedophile Gary Glitter. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing my part to combat cancel culture here by talking about him. <laughs> and if anybody on Earth needed to be canceled, that's Gary. Yeah. But... But anyway, uh, this one follows his usual formula, the double drummers, um, the muted, distorted guitar, and the shouted chorus. It's honestly not that much different from Rock and Roll Part 2. It just has lyrics. Um, it's good, stupid glam rock. And it's better than Joan Jett's cover, which was a hit on this side of the Atlantic. Uh, that said, it's hard not to be creeped out by most of the lyrics in this, um, knowing what we now know about Gary. Uh, but not surprisingly, the people in the YouTube comments for the Top of the Pops performance of this had a field day with this one. 
I'm surprised that the comments were even turned on, but uh, the best bad joke about him was um, what's Gary's favorite chord? Um, A flat minor. So, yeah. Uh, but, uh. but roughly half of the wiki entry for this song um, involves instance where this song was licensed for an ad or a TV show before being pulled when um, somebody realized that Gary would end up getting the royalties. He did get so, t- yeah. one of them. He, I, I, I was reading that same thing, and um, which I forget which company it was where they pulled it too late, and he ended up getting like six figures, like a hundred and fifty grand or something in royalties off of it. When he was sitting, yeah, in a, I forget exactly which one it was, but yeah, you are right. While he was sitting that. in jail, I mean, um. I don't even know which where which country he's incarcerated in now because he was in he was jailed and he's in he's in the UK now. so he's back in the UK but he was in what in Vietnam was it where he was he was like locked up at a bunch of places Vietnam Cambodia yeah I think Thailand too so he got the southeastern Asia triple crown I mean unfortunately like you said this song really really tests your um. You know, the idea of and, you know, he's not the only artist, but he's probably one of the most dramatic artists of. Can you enjoy the music and separate it from the artist? This is like one of the ultimate tests, because I actually definitely this yeah. is a pretty good song. And I really like Joan Jett's version uh, quite a bit. I, I, I don't I, I think they're both really good. I, I don't know that I'd say Joan Jett's is better. I'd say they're about equal. Joan Jett's rocks more than this one does, but this one is more glam, which is cool in its own way. Um, so the, t- if you didn't know a damn thing about De- Gary Glitter, you can, you know, this song would be pretty enjoyable. But like you, and then you take the lyrics into account with this specific song and it makes it even worse. Um so it's yeah. hard. I mean, and you know, he Gary Glitter had did definitely had a unique glam sound, like you mentioned, with the double drums and the distorted guitar and distorted saxophone too, which you don't even can barely tell there is saxophone in it because it's so distorted. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's tough. But then again, people are very forgiving of others who have maybe not been jailed like Gary Glitter, but certainly um, were under the same accusations like Michael Jackson, you know, I mean, I don't, right. I don't hear a lot of people getting moralistic about Michael Jackson's song. So I don't know. It's tough. I mean, I, I, this song in particular is real tough because of the subject matter of the song. So it's pretty much, it's, yeah. uh, it, it's like, I want to enjoy this, but this is creepy. It's kind of like revenge of the, yeah. these days because even though I think Revenge of the Nerds is pretty funny and we grew up with it, you know, the movie basically does turn on a rape. So, you know, pretty much it's and well, and for that matter, so does 16 Candles, too. So, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. It's like, <laughs> you know, I have always enjoyed this, but now that I know the backstory, well, I mean, he didn't literally write it about being a pedophile, but then again, you know, anyway, you know what I'm saying? It's probably best to stuff. Exactly. Yeah. So, <laughs> See, but anyway, moving on, we have um, 21 White Plains was Step Into a Dream. Skip. I have okay. no wise-ass comments other than Skip, but it does lead uh, into okay. my 
uh, dedication, which I was sure you were going to steal away from me. I'm actually very pleasantly surprised you didn't do this one. So, okay, I stayed in the British chart. I even though the British chart only goes down to fifty, I stuck with it. And my pick this week is all because of you by Jordy, which is at number forty nine on the British chart. Okay, so I have. This song is interesting to me for a few reasons. First of all, glam itself is interesting, and it never made it in America in its time. A few songs crossed over, Get It On by T-Rex, and David Bowie uh, is the one guy who did become a star, um, not necessarily because of his glam period, but it was around the time of his glam period. Apart from that, the whole glam scene just never made it in America, and... So because of that, we only really the only bands we really hear over here, even today, are the really big ones like like Bowie, like um, T-Rex, um, Slade, who we'll talk about later, uh-huh. um, have, you know, over time have trickled over here and people have said, yeah, you know, the, these guys are really cool. You know, they never made it here, but I'm glad I can listen to them now. Matha Hoople is another one, although they did have a hit here. Um so because of that, we don't really get into ob- the obscurantia of glam because we never got exposed to it. Like mud earlier in this chart. I mean, they <laughs> never even started. So Jordy, if you don't know your English geographic designations, signifies somebody from the city of Newcastle, which is the northernmost city in England before you cross over into Scotland. And Geordies have a distinctive accent and a distinctive culture probably most famously shown in the movie classic Get Carter, which takes place in Newcastle. Um, so the band Geordie is obviously from Newcastle, and they wear their Geordiness on their sleeve. In the TV clip I dug up, which was awesome, by the way, uh, the lead singer, and I'm being coy about who the lead singer is. Yeah, yeah. Feel it shortly, is wearing a Malcolm McDonald, who was the best player on Newcastle FC at the time, uh, jersey with the suspenders that were so popular in the UK scene at the time. Uh, so he's so they're Jordy. They 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 name themselves after what they're passionate about. But that lead singer is future ACDC lead singer Brian Johnson. And you know, I did I I I knew he was in a band before ACDC, obviously because they weren't just going to hire some rookie off the street. Um, but I didn't really put two and two together when I listened to this song as a potential dedication choice. And so I'm watching this clip, and it and and it's. You know, it's it's a great glam song. I'll get into that in a minute. But I'm listening to this. I was like, damn, that guy sounds really familiar because he didn't look familiar. Uh-huh. He just sounds familiar. And then they get to the to the uh, end of the chorus where he screams. And I'm like, shit, that's Brian Johnson, because it was uncanny. Um, you know, that kind of high octave scream that he, you know, uh, trademarked with uh, ACDC. Um, not as much in evidence, though, in this period. I mean. Brian's voice is a little bit more muted, a little bit um, more, you know, old school rock than ACDC rock. Um, He's a bit chubbier, too, than the uh, but you still, like I said, you hear the future Brian Johnson when he's screaming in the chorus. And frankly, I listened to a few Geordie songs when I heard this one. I kind of like the Jordy version of Brian Johnson more so than than the ACDC version, because Jordy did more. Had more variety in the songs that they did. Um, uh-huh. You know, they did some ballads, which I don't think I've ever heard Brian Johnson do a ballad until. I yeah, ACDC doesn't do ballads. And his look was different. I mean, it was the early 70s. You know, he's not rocking his flat cap that he basically almost exclusively wore in ACDC. He's not 
wearing like a you know a tank top or anything like that. He's glammed up. It's a glammed up version of Brian Johnson. His hair is wigged out, and uh-huh. you know he's like I said, he's wearing suspenders and a soccer jersey, so very much of its time. And this song is really awesome. I mean, it's a rave up, which a lot of glam songs were in the manner of Slade in this case. Um, but there's callbacks to the Beatles with uh, towards the end of the song with the chorus. Um, and they're obviously, you know, a com- like I said, a companion and, and or competition for a band like Slade. But this rocks and it's not deep. It just rocks out and there's nothing wrong with that. And but, you know, so it's cool to hear Brian Johnson in his first band. But it also begs the question that I'm putting to you, okay. which British phenomenon from the seventies that didn't make it in the UK uh, is better in your mind, glam or punk? I'd, I'd actually kind of lean towards glam. I agree. Yeah. I said, I, I like both genres, um, but I like glam because it's more fun. That's part of it. I mean, punk was many things, but it wasn't always fun. It was more like a release, you know? Right. Um, and it's usually obviously more angry and in some cases more political, which Glam was almost never political and was usually just like, let's all get fucked up at the bar and like raise hell. That's what I think of at least the Slade and, and Jordy wing of glam uh, were like that. So, right. Yeah, uh, exactly. But this song is the shit. So I dedicate this to glam rock, which is a great genre and to Malcolm McDonald, who had Brian Johnson wear his Jersey on this TV clip, which is awesome, by the way, you should go, find it okay so, yeah yeah but good stuff and uh, you know it's uh glam wasn't just rave ups i mean obviously david bowie david bowie did do some rave ups but um you know he took it a little deeper t-rex is probably more he definitely did some rave ups but he also did some kind of spaced out he was like the space wing of glam uh-huh. and uh oh yeah but All right yeah, I thought I was gonna have to use my second choice. I thought you'd jump all over that one. So I I noticed it on there, and I knew like the connection between Jordy and Brian Johnson. So I I did think about it, but ultimately went in a different direction. So <clears throat> you know what I did? I sent te- I te- telepathically changed your brain to not pick it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So it's like scanners. I'm gonna I'm gonna explode your head if you'd cross me the wrong way anyway okay (laughs) number 20 is never 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 by shirley bassey this is this is a cover of an italian language pop song um the original was called grande 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 um it was recorded by mina and she went to number one in italy with it and she also recorded it in english um but it was shirley bassey who ended up having a hit with it um, her version is very similar to Mina's um, English version. Um, it almost sounds like they use the same backing track on it. Um, Shirley's definitely more subdued here than she was on like Goldfinger or um, Diamonds Are Forever. She's not belting it out at all. She's just kind of singing it. It kind of reminds me of something that Barbara Streisand would have done around the same time period. Um, similar style. It's okay for what it is. Um, This was actually her last top 10 hit in the UK. It was also her last appearance of the Hot 100 in the US, and it was her second biggest hit in the States besides Goldfinger. So it it has that going for it. 
but diamonds diamonds are forever is a terrible bond movie but the song diamonds are forever is actually really underrated among the bond themes it's actually a pretty good song yeah yeah you're right about it. I, I i like that one more than goldfinger i mean definitely like that <clears throat> one more than goldfinger I don't know if I like it more than Goldfinger, but it's underrated. Now, she also did the Moonraker theme. That one's boring, but because what are you going to do? I mean, they, they insisted on having the song that they tried their best to have the song title mentioned in the lyrics. I mean, how are you going to work Moonraker? Into a lyric? <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Kind of, kind of a challenge there. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I mean, do they even like try to do the titles now? I, I know some of them they have. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, I, th- I they have they have Bond themes. I think who did the last one? Didn't Adele do the last one? Yeah, I know, but do they do like the title, like how you were saying? Oh, you mean in in the song? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. That's a good question. Um, I don't remember. No, probably not. I think when they rebooted with Daniel Craig, they probably stopped doing that. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, because I don't remember. Because Chris Cornell did Casino Royale, which was the first Daniel Craig movie. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember the movie title being in that song. So, right. Wait, wait. Adele did. She did Skyfall. I don't know who the hell did the last one. The um, I can't even remember the title of the last movie. It was the one where they brought back Spectre. I, Maybe I, that's, I that is that what it was. One. It was called. It was called Spectre. I'm an idiot. So okay. It was. It was all right. The, the rule with Daniel Craig. Bond movies is every other Bond movie is by him is pretty good. So yeah, Casino yeah. Royale is really good. That's one of the better Bond movies, period. Mm-hmm. And then Quantum, Quantum of Solace sucked. And then Skyfall was pretty good. And Spectre was, it was alright. It wasn't, it was okay. Still much better than like, like the shittiest Bonds, but it was okay. Right, yeah. We should do a countdown. We There probably is enough Bond movies. We should just count down all the bond movies okay yeah that'd be cool yeah i mean there's a lot of those i haven't seen though so well there you go you better start researching Uh, okay okay (laughs) uh but number 19 for you is tony kenny with heart of stone this is a skip this is trash although it is glammy trash so at least it's interesting trash but it's still uh very worthy of a skip Okay, yeah. Which brings us to number 18, Nice One, Cyril, by the Cockerel Chorus. Yeah, this is a football song. Oh, nice. It it was released in anticipation of Tottenham Hotspur's um, appearance in the Football League final, uh, which they actually won a week before this chart came out. Uh, They beat Norwich City 1-0. And it's to the tune of the old minstrel song, Goodnight Ladies. Um, you know, good night, ladies, good night, ladies, good night, ladies, we're going to leave you now. And Cyril in the song title is um, the star for Tottenham Hotspur at the time, um, Cyril Knowles. Um, so, and it was also the phrase nice one, Cyril, was also in an ad that was airing at the same time in the UK um, for Wonderloaf Bread. Um, apparently... The baker in the commercial's name was Cyril, and someone says nice one Cyril to him. And supposedly it was popular in the UK. But anyway, um, it's been repurposed as a chant for other players over the years. Um, Cyril Regis 
It was redone for um, Paul Gaza Gascoigne. Um, they did it as nice one Gaza. Yeah, and uh, and current um, Spurs player Sun Hung Min. Some of the examples of this. Um, that one they, they do it as nice one Sunny. So oh, okay. All right. But this one, the Ivor Novello Award for Best Novel or Unusual Song. And um, it features on the drums um, Nico McBrain from Iron Maiden. Uh, this was his very first recording. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> Even though this sounds absolutely nothing like Iron Maiden. But he's on this one. Cool. I don't... Cyril Knowles, like I know my soccer history and see <clears throat> Spurs, I'm trying to think who was good for them at that point. Martin Peters was like their striker. So I don't know, whatever. But it's no leads, leads, leads. It's no marching on together. I mean, yeah, but the, what? yeah, this one isn't as good as that one. Of course not. <laughs> Damn. Right. This would have been the 72-73 season. Okay, so this would have been Leeds was on their way to getting upset by Sunderland in the FA Cup. That's like one of the biggest upsets of all time. So, oh, okay, okay. So that happened, but then Leeds won the league the year after that by just absolutely dominating, big hmm. time. Yeah, take that Spurs. Maybe Martin Peters was gone from Spurs at this point. So whatever. Could be. Could be. Your soccer uh, soccer minute of the day sponsored by me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But number 17 for you is the New Seekers with um, Pinball Wizard, See Me, Feel Me, Medley. <clears throat> I thought for sure this was going to be a skip, given how awful I want to teach the world to sing is. And given that the New Seekers are kind of a dubious group uh, in the first place, because they're basically a commercial branding creation with very tenuous ties to the original Seekers who were from Australia. I think they had one member of the original seekers and it was, you know, wasn't like it was their primary guy. Um, but I was shocked that I actually kind of halfway dug this song, believe it or not. Um, it's big and brassy and I don't think there's any electric guitar in it at all, which actually adds to its charm because they replace all the electric guitar in it with an orchestra. So instead of going loud with electric, instead of being razor sharp, like the guitars are, you know, when Peter Townsend interjects with them in Pinball Wizard, you get the big, big effect instead. That's how they decided to kind of replicate that uh, without the electric guitar in it. And it sounds terrible in theory, but it kind of worked, actually, surprisingly. And then when they do See Me, Feel Me, it basically comes off like the Jesus Super Christ Superstar version of it, like an outtake from that, uh -huh. which also sounds awful in theory, but it also kind of works. So... Um, and because the New Seekers are a multi-vocalist group, this sounds like I would think ABBA would sound like if they were popular in the early part of 1973. You know, yeah, they, have, kind of. they have more singers. They have six in their band instead of four, but they have three women and three men. So ABBA with like if they borrowed um, Ace of Bass or something, I don't know. But um, the video is very ABBA-like, too, uh, where at the beginning of it, it's like a black screen. And then all the members of the new Seekers appear in like these squares. And they're basically singing up against a black background. And it's probably it's much higher, um, higher quality than the videos of that period would have been. 
So against all odds, I actually halfway recommend this song. I'm not saying you should go like like it on Spotify or anything. It's not that good, but it's not the abysmal hell scape I thought it was going to be. So and it's better than Elton John's cover. I'll be honest. I think it is. Yeah, it definitely is for Pinball Wizard. Yeah, I hate I hate yeah. his cover of Pinball Wizard. Yeah, it's pretty bad. But I but considering who is doing this song. I just thought it was going to be. I almost skipped it before I even listened to it. So, <laughs> right. That's why you don't judge a book by its cover, I guess. So, yeah, exactly. Next up for you, number 16, Looking Through the Eyes of Love by the Partridge Family. Eh, skip. Um, I mean, it's basically just a David Cassidy solo song. So, right now, the picture in my head is Reuben Kincaid in the back of the Partridge Family bus lowering his his head in shame because you just broke his heart yeah yeah i probably did (laughs) way to go yeah (laughs) but uh number 15 for you um is thin lizzie with whiskey in the jar early thin lizzie several years before jailbreak made them international stars whiskey in the jar is a traditional irish song which makes sense given that thin lizzie were from ireland um which is all cool, but that's not really what makes this song. What does make this song is, uh, first of all, Phil Lynott's voice is, you know, very distinctive. And, uh-huh. you know, you hear, you know, Thin Lizzy, it's, you're never going to like mistake Thin Lizzy for anybody else because nobody else has a voice like Phil Lynott. He doesn't sound Irish and he's um, black, which was, I can't imagine there were many. Um, black people in Ireland um, in this period or even now, but, Uh um, but he has a very, um, I don't know. How do you describe his voice? Maybe very descriptive in the way he sings, I guess is kind of a boring way to put it. Um, Uh But it's, it's, it's kind of almost like, like knowing what you know now about Thin Lizzy, very much a statement of intent that Phil Lynott, you know, has what it takes to be a lead singer i guess is the long-winded way of putting it it also has um eric bell and Lynette, who plays he doesn't pr- play primary most of the time he played bass but um he does play guitar occasionally but eric bell's guitar uh which is kind of accented repeatedly this that's him and that's the hook of the song and uh pretty memorable um if you know your thin lizzie um, this wasn't a hit in America at all, but this was uh, this was actually their biggest hit in the UK of the 12 top 40 hits that they had. Thin Lizzy were much bigger over there than they were here, um, reaching number six, ultimately two spots higher than the boys are back in town did later, which was their biggest hit here in, in the US. So um, you do hear this song, though, on classic rock once in a while, and it's pretty good. I enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I know Thin Lizzy. Less enjoyable is the Metallica version of it. That's right. Yeah, Metallica did cover this. And um, Thin Lizzy fans are, there's, they have, among the bands who have a cult following, Thin Lizzy fans are right up there in terms of being the most fervent. Because, you know, they, and, and they're like really in love with that early period of Thin Lizzy, where they were kind of like a lot of rock bands were. I mean, they, they delved into traditional music. They delved into some fantasy elements early in their days. They did concepts and stuff like that. They also did straight ahead rockers. And, 
you run into, I've had a lot of people who are in the Thin Lizzy cult among my friends over the years, and they just rave about this period of Thin Lizzy. Uh-huh. And it's, it's fine. I mean, I've listened to it, but, um, you know, but this song is, uh, is pretty good. Yeah. I, I like Thin Lizzy a lot. Um, yeah. I, I kind of prefer like the middle period where, um, um, amp, like the guys who replaced Eric Bell when they brought in, um, um, I think Scott Gorham and Brian Robertson after him. Right. That, that time. You know, period. I used to have, I don't know if I sold this for beer and food when I was in college or not. I had like a relatively lengthy Thin Lizzy compilation and I can't remember if I still have that or not. Hmm. If I do, I haven't listened to it in probably at least 20 years, but it was pretty good. Yeah. And I can't remember if I still own that thing or not. I'll have to go look. But anyway, next up for you, number 14 is Blockbuster by The Sweet. Yep. And this one has nothing to do with Blockbuster movies or um, Blockbuster bombs, even though the song does start out with an air raid siren. It's about blocking a guy named Buster. Um, they make Buster out to be a supervillain, um, but really the only thing that they mention that he really does is steal your girlfriend. Um, but the cops are after him, and he has to be caught, he has to be stopped, but no one seems to um, have a clue what to do about him. <laughs> it's, um, but this is a big, stupid glam song, and I, I mean that in a good way. It's almost as dumb as Do You Want to Touch? And it sounds an awful lot like um, Gene Genie, which came out about a month before this. But um, both the band and Chin and Chapman, um, the guys who wrote this, um, insist that that was just a coincidence. But anyway, both of those songs are ripping off the riff from I'm a Man anyway. But um, at the top of the pop performance of this, um, they're all pretty much decked out in the stupidest glam fashions possible. Um, the lead singer is in like a gold lame jumpsuit with a tiger's face on the front of it. Um, the bass player has like pointed um, German World War One helmet and he's wearing a ton of makeup. Um, the guitarist is wearing like a zebra print kimono with like red velvet pants. Uh, very of its era, I guess. Um, but this is a this is a pretty good one. I mean, not as I, I would probably rate this below like Little Willie and um, Ballroom Blitz, but it's still pretty good. So this is the one sweet song I've never been able to. get. It's not bad, but I've never been able to get into it like like I do like Little Willie or even some of their more obscure ones. But it was a big hit, though. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We call them sweet. Over there, they call them the sweet. So right, and they did that with a lot of bands like the Pink Floyd and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I think they dropped the like the at the start of Pink Floyd after Sid left the band. Though. Right. Yeah. Well, but I, it was just more of a naming convention of how, um, just how Britain is. Like you even hear that, like you'd hear that with soccer teams once in a while. Like if you watch an early seventies soccer match uh especially if it's arsenal they oftentimes call them the arsenal hmm. which is weird i don't yeah. know why yeah. but so i guess we do that the brewers so yeah that's true yeah <laughs> next up for you 
Oh, oh wait, you're next. Actually, I was going to announce my own song. I'm high. Oh, okay, okay. Um, next one for you is uh, thirteen. Cliff Richard with Power to Our Friends. The Cliff Richard is yeah. what I was going to say, <laughs> uh, and it doesn't matter anyway because it's a skip. Okay. So number twelve for you, part of the Union by Straubs. The Straubs were a folk rock band. They've been kicking around since the mid '60s, and they're probably best known for being a stopping point for people who uh, moved on to bigger and better things. Um, Sandy Denny from the Fairport Convention was an early member. Um, Rick Wakeman got his start as their keyboardist. And his replacement, uh, Blue Weaver, who actually plays on this one, uh, was briefly a member of Mott the Hoople, and um, he ended up becoming a longtime backing musician and uh, collaborator of the Bee Gees. But anyway, this is their biggest hit, and in case you can't title from the title, this was actually a Union song. Um, it's a reworking of Woody Guthrie's song, Union Made, um, a song that I was pretty familiar with because it was sung from time to time during the um, Act 10 protests that happened here in Madison about a decade ago. Um, the Straubs made slight alterations to the song. Um, the chorus in their version is, you won't get me, I'm part of the union. And Guthrie's, it's, you, you can't get me, I'm sticking to the union. And a line that mentions the National Guard was changed to Scotland Yard. And um, they changed the arrangement to make it a little bit more British. Kind of sounds like a football chant. It's pretty catchy, but unsurprisingly, this was snapped up as an anthem for um, the British labor movement as a whole. And um, because there was a lot of labor strife in early 70s UK, this one um, got trotted out a lot and um, became popular because of that. And um, since I mentioned that this sounds like a football chant, I should probably mention um, that this has been used as a football song. Um Philadelphia Union plays it at every one of their home games. And the Cockerel Chorus, who I had at number 18, um, also recorded this one. Um, Tottenham doesn't seem like it would have a large Union fan base, but um, maybe things were different in 1973. But um, this one's pretty good, though. So, um, I forgot what I was going to say. Uh, okay. <laughs> It doesn't get more riveting on the podcast than, than that. So when that happens. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, all right. Okay. Onward and upward. Okay. Uh, number 11 for you is the Jackson 5 with Dr. My Eyes. <laughs> this is a skip. Although when I read this, I just saw Dr. My Eyes and then I saw Jackson underneath it. I was like, oh, this is fucking Jackson Brown. I'm not even going to. Yeah. I'm not going to try it. And then I. Literally just looked at it like two seconds ago. I was like, oh, it's the Jackson 5. Oh, well, fuck it. Still skipping. <laughs> yeah. I don't even care if it is good. It's from a bad source. It's, it's not bad, actually. I, I, um, I it probably isn't. One and it wasn't too bad. It probably isn't. But I saw Jackson and I assumed Brown was going to be after it. And I don't dig Jackson Brown. So, so sorry to the Jackson 5. <laughs> okay. Five. Next up for you, number 10, Baby I Love You by Dave Edmonds. This is a cover of the Run At song. It's been covered quite a few times over the years. Um, Dave also produced this one, and he does a very good job of capturing the whole um, Phil Spector wall of sound thing. 
Um, in fact, he probably overdoes it a little bit. Um, in particular, the percussion with like the sleigh bells and the tambourines is like very over top in this version. But I, I'm thinking that may just have been because uh, Dave Edmonds had more tracks to work with in the studio than Phil did. I mean, he didn't have to like cram it all onto like one or two tracks. He could spread it out over like 16 or whatever. But it's it's a pretty good cover, though. I wouldn't say it's the best cover I've ever heard of this. Um, that title would actually go to Andy Kim. Um, I don't know if you've heard his version, but it's pretty good. Yeah. But it's... Yes, I have. I, I will say that it's a lot better than the Ramones version. So, but uh, Dave Edmonds is pretty good, so. Never even thought to rank all those versions. <laughs> right, Yeah. So I'm kind of struggling with that one, but okay. But number nine for you, um, and you mentioned this one earlier, is Focus with Sylvia. Yeah, I don't want to spend too much time on it because of that. So Focus's only hit, as we talked about earlier, was Hocus Pocus, which is Bocus. See what I did there? Yeah, yeah. Um, but this is a relatively cool instrumental from the Dutch band, and. Honestly, I like this a lot better than Hocus Pocus, which, as I said, when Matt addressed the earlier song, um, I think has some high highs in it, but some boring lows. So already made that point. No need to. I guess I made it again. So I just screwed up. But OK, that's all I had on this one. But it's all right. It was it was a good instrumental. It was good. Yeah. Th- yeah, it wasn't too bad. Should have had more so, yodeling on it, though. Did not have any yodeling, which <laughs> yodel free. Next up for you, number eight, Gonna Make You an Offer You Can't Refuse by Jimmy Helms. Um, Helms is a U- UK-based um, American-born soul singer. And the title of this song is obviously taken from a line set by both uh, Marlon Brando and Al Pacino in The Godfather, uh, which came out about a year before this. But um, this has nothing to do with making Jack Waltz cast Johnny Fontaine in a movie or uh, getting Mo Green to sell his casino, but... On the single cover, Helms is wearing a fedora and kind of brandishing a gun um, to kind of drive home the whole gangster theme. <laughs> but um, this one has somewhat of an early Philly soul flavor to it. Sounds a lot like the stylistics or Delphonics. Um, Helms is singing in falsetto like their lead singers um, throughout this whole thing. And it's pretty good copy of that sound anyway. But um, this was only a hit in the UK, and it was also his only hit there. Um, but eventually he did get a shot in the US about 20 years after this um, as the lead singer of the group London Beat. Um, they went to number one um, in the early 90s with I've Been Thinking About You. But, I've been thinking about you. Yep, that was Jimmy Helms. Wow. Yep. But this this is pretty decent, though. So despite everything you just explained about the history of Jimmy Helms, uh-huh. the picture in my head of the person singing this is Jesse Helms. <laughs> it is. It, it, it would Which have been funny. amusing to hear him try to sing in a falsetto. <laughs> yeah, quite. Yeah. Quite. <laughs> but Plus, I also wanted to throw this out there. Uh-huh. I ain't no band. <clears throat> I can't do it right. I ain't no band leader. Oh, you didn't think I... Oh, never mind, I don't even have it right. The part where, <clears throat> like, when Walt is talking to uh, uh, to um, to Robert Duvall, 
Oh, okay. Yeah. Basically threatening him. Yeah. That's what I was trying to do and failed miserably. So. Right. Yeah. Well, well for that, we should like cut off a horse's head and stick it in your bed or something like that. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) I ain't no band leader. Right. That's not my favorite line from that, but I don't want to say my favorite line from it, even though I'm of the ethnicity that he is pointing out in that scene. I, I know but, which one you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, I, what, I, what are the very few times that our ethnicity has ever been mentioned in anything? Probably the only time that it's ever our German Irish heritage has ever been name checked in tandem. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Strangely, I'm proud of it. I think it's cool. I think it's cool that he, uh, that that's part of that iconic scene. So, <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Right on, German Irish nation. Yep. Yep. <laughs> but number seven for you is Roberta Flack with Killing Me Softly with his song. <clears throat> this is a great song, but it was inspired by one of my least favorite artists. Um, Norman Gabriel, it's a long story, but Norman Gabriel and Laurie Lieberman sort of co-wrote this song after uh, seeing uh, Norman Gabriel, I think, saw Don McLean in concert and it inspired this song. So, you know, oh, well, sometimes greatness comes from the mundane. But there but there was a gigantic fight over who actually wrote what in this song mm-hmm. that dragged on into the 2000s, believe it or not. Um, but it's boring and frankly unimportant um, to this story. But, you know, this song was one of my early memory songs hearing on the radio long after it would have been out, of course. But, um, but even when I was little, I had a conception that this production was really well done and intricate because there was nothing that really sounded like it on the radio. Mm-hmm. Um, now Flack had that whole jazzy folk thing going that she specialized in and really um, was one of the few artists to be popular with that sound anyway. And she's got it down pat in this song. This is like, this is like the template of Roberta Flack right here. I mean, it doesn't get more Roberta Flack than this song. Um, and it has that wonderful Rhodes piano on it. Like it's an older version of the Rhodes, but that kind of is the underpinning of the song. The Fugees covered this in the 90s and did have a big hit with it. But but Flack's version is much better. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Really good one. Really mellow. Good mood song. Good love song. And um, so and a huge hit. Um, both here and in the UK. So, right. Yep. Excellent. Uh-huh. Good stuff. <laughs> um, next up for you, number six, Hello Hooray by Alice Cooper. This is a cover, but it comes from kind of an unusual source. Um, the original was done by Judy Collins a few years before this. And her version sounds absolutely nothing like what Alice's charting was here. Um, her version's kind of like a pleasant. Um, hippie-ish folk rock song but Alice kind of ripped it apart um, took out the hippie-ish parts um, made it more spooky more theatrical um, more Alice Cooper and in that process he kind of like took out everything that was um, charming about Judy Collins version Um, there's no real hook to this it doesn't really go anywhere um, it's just kind of a bland song about how great it is to be back on stage. Um, it's okay as an intro to a live show. And Alice did pretty frequently use that for that purpose. But as a single, it kind of sucks. 
Um, but it was a hit on both sides of the Atlantic for some reason. In fact, it was like at number 38 on the U.S. charts this week. And Judy Collins actually was also on the charts, but not in the top 40. But um, this one isn't that great. I mean, Alice had much better songs than this. So. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever even heard this song. This song has like disappeared off of the like radio. I've, I've definitely heard this one on the radio, but it's not one of his most like I mean it's definitely not one of his most famous ones I mean you're not going to hear this as much as like no more Mr. Nice Guy or 18 or anything like that you know what he and Judy Collins also have in common what Judy Collins also likes to wrap a snake around herself during her shows (laughs) I I, I'm pretty sure she did that yeah absolutely (laughs) yes (laughs) <laughs> and then she scares the hell out of the snake when she goes into her high pitched when she does both sides now like right yeah and, and in her original version of this she does that also so <sighs> that's why I can't listen to Judy Collins Jesus okay <laughs> but number five for you is the faces with City incidentally by the time this came out the faces were bigger than ever but they also had some serious problems in the band this is from Ooh La La, and that the recording of Ooh La La was very problematic. It turned out to be The Face's last uh, album, uh, though they didn't know that at the time. Rod Stewart's solo success was starting to turn his head a little bit um, from Faces, because by this point, you were hearing like Faces, the band that Rod Stewart is in, instead of the fact that Faces kind of kept Rod Stewart's career Alive to a point. I mean, when he joined them, he hadn't yet had the, he had solo albums out that were critically acclaimed, but he hadn't had any commercial success with them yet. So he kind of joined faces in an in-between period. And it wasn't too long after that, that he did start to have solo success. And it's hard to know whether his solo success fueled the faces success or the fact that the faces were, you know, what came out of the, wormhole after the small faces broke up it's hard to know where their popularity starts and begins um but the rest of the faces were pretty they had a lot of pride and they thought they did rod stewart a favor by putting him in the band in the late 60s and so they were pretty annoyed with the fact that he was starting to go a little bit hollywood on them and so there was a lot of tension when Ulala was recorded and um and it did turn out to be their last album. But really, looking back on it, it it's no surprise because uh, Stewart and Faces recorded four albums of their own in a uh, basically a four-year period. And Faces were the backing band on parts of Every Picture Tells a Story, uh, Rod, Rod Stewart's breakout album. And then essentially Never a Dull Moment, which is the follow-up to that, is a Faces album. I mean, they play uh-huh. on every single song on it. Um I mean, it is a proxy Faces album and maybe their best if you consider that a Faces album because that Never a Dull Moment is a great album. <laughs> um, I'm, they had to have, even if they were getting along, they had to be creatively spent because they had put out so much material over that time. And it does show in this track, which isn't bad, um, but it comes off uninspired compared to Faces' best stuff. It's It seems like they're going through the motions a little bit, which to some degree... Uh, spiritually they probably were so i mean stewart didn't technically leave the faces until the mid-70s they did play live after this uh-huh. um, 
and and he wasn't the first one to leave either. Ronnie Lane left before Rod Stewart did. Um, yeah. But it was pretty evident by the mid-70s that Rod Stewart's solo career had eclipsed the faces, and that's why really the end of the faces came when Ronnie Wood um, joined the Rolling Stones in that same period. So, But this is the beginning of the end, basically. Right. Yeah, exactly. So kind of a shame. Faces are cool, but they had had it with one another at this point. So, Right. Yep. Next up for you, number four, Feel the Need in Me by the Detroit Emeralds. These guys were from Detroit, obviously. Wait, uh, what? Yeah, yeah. Originally, I thought that they added Detroit to their name to avoid confusion with another group called the Emeralds. Like, kind of like how the English beat added English to their name or like the London suede. But apparently it wasn't a case. Um, they were just the Detroit Emeralds. Uh, the best way to describe this one would be that it's kind of like an up-tempo Al Green song or like proto-disco. It's kind of like halfway in between that. Um, the horns on this are very Al Green, but this was a much bigger hit in the UK than it was in the US. It um, actually didn't make it onto the pop charts of the US. It kind of stalled in the 20s um, on the R&B charts there. I, I'm not sure why it didn't catch on here because it's um, a pretty good song, but um, the Detroit Emeralds actually charted twice with this one. They put out a disco version in 1977, which did almost as well on the British charts. And um, Leaf Garrett, Graham Central Station, Forrest, and Shaken Stevens also charted in the UK with their versions. Um, none of those versions are as good as this, but I will say that the video for Forrest version is hilarious. And uh, Graham Central Station's... Um, soul train performance of this was uh, pretty entertaining uh, to say the least but this is a pretty good song I, I hadn't heard this one before but this one was really good yeah I haven't heard this one in a while but it is pretty good yep I like that they're all dressed in green on the album cover as well to go with the emeralds theme that's cool right yeah exactly well and the performances that I saw they were just basically wearing like black and white tuxes um, apparently they didn't bring out break out the green all the time so they wore black and white tuxes in tribute to um stepbrothers uh the job interview scene okay yeah we're here we're, we're here to fuck shit up that's what the <laughs> worlds were paying right. tribute to. yeah see um at number three we have t-rex with 20th century boy this is one of those songs where you don't forget the first time uh, you heard it, although I do forget what I heard it on and where. But um, the first time I heard this song was in the early 90s. Um, and it was somehow got into my ears after in the UK, it had been revived as a um, as a hit after it appeared in a Levi's commercial, which that commercial never appeared here, but it did in the UK. And it was a sensation and 20th century boy uh, reentered the charts there. So somehow I heard it over here. Maybe I heard it on like MTV News or who knows. But um, huh. I heard it in its entirety, though, so it couldn't have been that. But anyway, uh, someone over here played it. And I'd never heard anything like it in my life to that point. Um, if you've never heard this song, it just assaults you right off the bat with like nuclear bomb intensity straight off the bat. Um, I mean, you got shit flying at you at every angle in this song, which is basically like a big 
it, it, it does have a wall of sound element to it, but think hard rock wall of sound. And T-Rex liked to throw a lot of shit into the sink with his songs. And this one, you've got, you've got stuff flying at you from every angle. You've got background singers up at 10 o'clock. You've got horns up at 2 o'clock. You've got a really unbelievable bottom to this song at 6 o'clock. And then you got Mark Boland strafing you every now and then with vocal asides where he just throws in a, hey, you know, in the middle of this really uh-huh. grooved out chorus every few seconds. And then you got his amazing guitar right at ground zero of all of it. You have lyrics that make zero sense. Most of the time, T-Rex lyrics made absolutely no sense at all. They were basically words thrown in to almost keep the groove alive is the way I've always kind of interpreted T-Rex. Yeah. yeah. They don't, they're not literal by any means. And they're just kind of cool things to keep a groove going uh, that rhyme usually. Um, and yet it's totally cool and it's very rock and roll. Um, and that's all before you get to the chorus, which combines all of this into this insane wall of sound, the likes of which I've never heard in my life to the point when I heard this song. Um, this song is singularly responsible for making me want to do a deep dive into glam beyond the basic Bowie and, and Mott the Hoople that I was listening to at the time. It, in my opinion, is one of the greatest rock songs of all time, and it's arguably the best glam song uh, there is. And, and that's just the studio version, um, which is remarkable. The version I later discovered, and then they used to play in VH1 um, every now and then when it was playing music, um, was uh, for, also from Music Laden, and it's a live version. And it's one of the coolest things ever put on film. I think from a rock and roll performance standpoint, the only thing better is the Who's uh, quick one from the rock and roll circus, which is awesome. Um, (laughs) Mark Boland's, I don't know how he got the guitar tone he got in that performance, because there's other, he also did Buick McCain during the same thing, which is also really good. Uh, But he's got this amazing fuzz tone coming out of his guitar live. It does sound different from the studio version. Um, I, the studio version, I think, does have bongos on it, but here they're a lot more prominent, so it actually makes it funky. And uh-huh. you got Bowen up there with a white boa on, very glam, uh, something that almost nobody but him could carry off. And then the way they produced it, uh, that's the real key to it. The German TV production is what makes it even better because they're doing all these quick zooms and they're cutting like every 10 seconds. And it just adds the kineticism of the song. And so the, the live performance itself is awesome, but watching the spectacle of how they actually televised it adds to it for once. So it's really super duper cool. And even though I'm an old fuck, it, it would get me to jump out of my couch if I had nobody around to laugh at me about it. But <laughs> British audiences agreed with my assessment of this song at the time. This is its second week on the chart. It debuted at number three the week before, and huh. but then it stuck at number three. It never got above number three, so it peaked at its. It's one of the very few songs that uh, debuted at its peak. Um, but they knew a good thing, especially glam wise, when it punched them in the mouth like this song does. And the studio version, the single version, is about three and a half minutes long. Um, a later version was discovered that has the full master, which is actually like six minutes long, and it just. Uh, the song fades out with Bolin just playing really hard, heavy guitar, and the full master has doesn't fade out. So you get to hear this long uh, guitar jam for like three minutes in the same vein. So it's pretty cool. It, it, the, the single version's fine. I mean, they cut it at a good point. Um, 
good adrenaline point because uh-huh. you, you can't go on with this song for 10 minutes. It's just too damn intense. So, but one of the best songs ever, and this is one of those touchstone songs you hear and you're like, holy crap, I need to find out what this is all about. So uh-huh. definitely one of mine. So um happy I get to pay tribute to it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really great song. I remember yeah. being really shocked. I went when we used to go to our um or at least when I used to go to our Uncle Dave, who lived in our old neighborhood in Milwaukee at the time, and he had a ton of records, which you have a lot of them now. You may even have yeah. this record in your possession, actually. I, I think I do. Yeah. Um, Was that like a best of compilation? Yeah, and I used to make mixtapes when I was there, and I happened to see T-Rex in there, which I wasn't expecting. Our uncle was essentially into classic rock, really, and T-Rex was not that big in America. And I remember pulling that out, and it probably was about a year or two after I had originally heard the song. And seeing it on there, I was like, holy crap! And I was like, because 20th Century Boy was not on an album, it was a single. So I was really pleasantly surprised to see that, and I threw it on and put it on the mixtape, and well, and our uncle was like, what are you putting this shit on for? He didn't really care for T-Rex. It was <laughs> so, but I'm like, this song is awesome. He's like, eh, all right. He's like, I haven't listened to that in a while. So, yeah, I, I kind of got the impression with some of the stuff that he had in his collection. Like, I remember he had um, London Calling and I remember like we were at his house for like Thanksgiving. And I think either you or I like chose that to play. And he's like, uh i haven't i haven't played that since i bought it and stuff like that yeah but respect respect is due at least he experimented and tried some stuff you know yeah yeah exactly he would he would buy albums that he wasn't probably he read a good review about it and would go buy it and give it a you know give it a chance so that's fine yeah i respect that so Yep. Anyway, I'm sure he has this one as well. Number two, <laughs> The Twelfth of Never by Donny Osmond. This is the fifth cover I've had on this chart, but it's really more of a cover of a cover. Twelfth um, of Never is based on the 15th century um, English folk song, the Riddle Song, um, which was which is known by most most people as um, I Gave My Love a Cherry. Um, which is the song that Stephen Bishop was playing in Animal House um, when yep. John Belushi smashed his guitar. Um, but this has different lyrics, uh, but a similar theme. Um, he's singing about how he'll love you until uh, the poets run out of rhymes, um, the flowers forget to bloom, or the twelfth of never pops up. Or in other words, forever. Um, the first version of this was done by Johnny Mathis. Um, it was a B-side to Chances Are and uh, got flipped over and became a hit on its own. Um, that version didn't chart in the UK, but Cliff Richards' cover in 1964 uh, did. And after listening to all three of these, I'd have to say that Donnie wins out with his version. Um, the, the kid could sing. I mean, he gets kind of written off as like a bubblegum teen idol with like the squeaky clean image, but he really was a good singer. But um, this one also did better than Johnny and Cliff on the charts of the UK. Um, this one did go up to number one, um, top 10 in the US, but it was one of three number ones that the Osmond family would have in 1973 in the UK. And we actually had one of them at number 29, and you skipped it. 
<laughs> yeah, for so, good reason. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But um, also, Elvis, David Houston, and Jeff Buckley um, did their own versions of this after Donnie did. But um, pretty decent, I think. I mean, it's, I mean, kind of classic pop song, but it's decent for that. You know what? It has nothing to do with the performance of the song at all. I hate the song title. I always have. The Twelfth of Never. Just stupid. Just hate it. It it is kind of stupid. I get but... I get the I get it, but it's like that like it's like like a bad metaphor and I'm like I don't have any respect for bad metaphors or bad <laughs> Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, but it's like it's like the lead to a story. It's like you want to hook people in and if you don't if you if you try to hook me with a dumb song title, then you have a lot more work to do to win me over. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> As I go into the number one song, which has two words misspelled in it, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> right. Well, well, here we go with number one here. Um, Slade with Come On, Feel the Noise. Slade. The ultimate yep. rave-up band. The ultimate rave-up band, period, um, in the history of rock and roll. I guess maybe... Jerry Lee Lewis might have an argument for that in his own time. Um, all riff and hooky percussion. That's what Slade was. Here with Maracas as well, which is an underrated club in the bag for hard rock bands. Uh, ACDC, you would use it once in a while. It's always good when you hear Maracas in a hard rock song because the, it, it works. Um, Slade, When Slade hit their sweet spot, uh, like they do here, they're really irresistible. And... Um, you know, this is a great song. And as you likely guessed, if you know your music, this is the original version of the song that became huge for Quiet Riot in the United States a decade later. In fact, Quiet Riot basically owes the majority of their output and their existence to aping and or covering Slade directly. Uh, they also uh -huh. did Mama, We're All Crazy Now. Um, to that point, Slade had really not made it in the United States. But the funny thing is, is that they turned the ripoff band uh into an advantage for them and they decided to enter the u.s market uh at the height of quiet ride and had their own hit their biggest hit in the u.s with the galactic uh run run away in 19 yep one of the better hard rock songs of the 80s and basically really just an updated version of their 70s stuff unlike quiet Riot, slade's rhythm guitar primarily done by dave hill is really vastly superior much crunchier much louder than quiet Riot ever got and um, which is pretty important for a band that basically rides on its riffs. Uh, Naughty Holder, Slade's gravelly lead, uh, lead singer, gravelly voiced lead singer. He's, he's a nutcase, but in the best sense of the word, like for the songs they do, he's perfect because he's just a lunatic. And uh -huh. the songs are basically played at like a lunatic level of energy. So it's perfect. Um, Slade can never crack it here in the 70s, uh, but they were huge in the UK. This was their fourth number one song in two years and they would have two more before 1973 was done they are considered and they are a absolute essential cornerstone glam band they definitely uh -huh. dressed, dressed the part in the clip i watched they were in full glam dress bright colors and shiny metallic gear hill was in he usually was the most flamboyant of the slade members they're definitely they're way high on the list of should have made it in the america list Oh, uh, yeah, definitely. Probably top five. 
bands that should have been big here and never were for some reason. Their songs are just absolute stompers. And actually, their lyrics, while they're basically just to move the song along, aren't bad either. I mean, they're uh-huh. not dumb. They're 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 not like you know, it's not Bob Dylan, but it's not um, sweet either. You know, I mean, it's nothing against sweet. I like sweet, but uh, uh-huh. they they actually try to put good lyrics into the songs. They're stonesy in their own cool way. They don't sound like the Rolling Stones, but they're from that. They took that same influence and took it in a little different direction. And they're very hooky, like uh good Bon Scott era ACDC could be uh, when they were at their best. This song, they're, they're, they're fun. That's what the cool thing about Slate is and really cool way to finish this chart appropriate given that glam was, uh, was the sound of uh, the UK at this point. So God bless Slade. I love Slade. Yeah, yeah, great song, great band, and actually, since you mentioned Quite Riot's cover, um, Oasis also did a really good cover of this of the '90s, and their versions um, closer to what Slade put out than uh, what Quiet Riot did, obviously. But yeah, definitely one of the loudest bands of all, of all time. That's the problem with covering Slade is you have to not only cover what they're doing musically, which wasn't really that complicated but you actually kind of have to cover their sonic impact. And I don't know that anybody quite right tried, but I don't know that that's attainable because the way they, the sound they got when they produced their records, it was just crunchy, like in the best sense of the term. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, and in a way, you know, a lot of glam songs were actually could be thin in the way they were produced so mm-hmm. you could work that to your advantage with a with with a really good hard rock like a rhythm guitar riff because it just crunches a lot more. That was the same reason why a lot of Bowie songs worked because Mick Ronson's guitar is sharp, but it's also kind of thin, which almost makes it stand out more. So uh, same thing with Slade, although they're definitely at a much lower register in terms of the crunchiness. So, mm-hmm. yeah, they kick ass. Yeah. Yep. All right, we're done. And should we tell people, Matt, that we're changing the format of the podcast here pretty soon? We we probably should, yeah. We could give you the basics. We we haven't sorted out all the details yet, but if you're a loyal listener of the With a Bullet podcast, we are going to be moving to Spotify exclusively. And the reason for that is is we want to stop talking about music. Well, we're still going to talk about it. Yeah, um, but we want to add music clips into this show so you can hear these songs instead of having us explain like me trying to explain. Come on, feel the noise just now. So um, we think it's going to make it better. We still haven't decided what the format of this is going to be, but it, we're going to have actual music in this podcast here shortly. So right. Yep. To do that without having to pay royalties, which even though we're about to get a bazillion dollars in stimulus we still can't afford it (laughs) so um we can do this on spotify without paying royalties so unless we get a surprise bill in which case yeah yeah that'll be the end of the with the bullet hopefully we don't we shouldn't but that we could they're, they're fair use on spotify and so soon we will have clips we won't be able to edit them so they're going to be a little we're going to make fun of that a little bit they're going to be sometimes cut off awkwardly yeah I, I was kind of testing it like earlier today and it 
just kind of like puts it in like just any random point in the song. Yeah, but we can we can play with that. So we're looking forward to it because it will be nice to actually hear what we're talking about. And especially on some of the more obscure charts we do, um, you know, this one would have been one that would have been good to have the music with it because um, while I'm sure there's UK fans who love mud and stuff like that, most people in the United States have no idea who that is. So right. or, or the country chart we did recently, you know, which that would have made that, that, that one quite a bit better. So anyway, right. we're, we're still working out when we're going to do this. It'll be soon. Um, mm-hmm. But if you like to listen to this podcast, um, uh, listen to us on Spotify, because that's where we're going to be. So, mm-hmm. and Matt's going to sing all the clips as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he's been working on his voice and stuff. So, right. and Matt, you get to pick for our next one. So what's up next? Um, well, my first instinct, since I realized that we we're going to be recording around St. Patrick's Day, was to go for an Irish chart. Yeah. But I, I, I was checking out the Irish charts and apparently they didn't have a unified chart until 2017. And I didn't really want to talk about Ed Sheeran or anything. Um, so we're going to the 90s. We've kind of um, neglected the Hot 100s from the 90s, but we're going to do one next week. Um, it's the Hot 100 from March 20th, 1993. Okay. So This has jump around on it, doesn't it? No, but there is something kind of um, similar to that. Um, kind of like a 90s one-hit wonder at the top. <laughs> I just want... I wanted to talk about House of Pain's other songs besides Jump Around. <laughs> yeah. All right, 1993. All right, bet. Yep. So, all right. Well, anyway, we will work on formatting this podcast, and we hope you – we may even re-record a few of these to include clips, by the way. Right, so, yep. Because that would be good. But anyway, we appreciate you listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. Yep. See you next time, guys. Are you coming in or are you going to piss about all day? You're bloody finished. You know that, Jack. I'm bloody finished, you. <laughs>